you can discover a lot of things by talking to people. There's things that would have slipped the cracks. Again, we're not in an office setting. So you really have to be intentional with when you communicate and how you communicate. And my peers and I have definitely kind of like uncovered or discovered like kind of repeat work or things that would have gone wasted and unnoticed if we didn't talk about it. And so we were able to kind of like better those situations. This is the CMO NGO podcast. We interview today's most inspiring chief marketing officers and savvy marketers of lucrative direct-to-consumer companies, bringing you insightful stories and tips on marketing, sales, branding, and much more. We bring you the best lessons from the best. Let's get started with your host, Joe Momo. I'm really excited to have my next guest on the podcast. She has a wealth of experiences in marketing and tech and even uh, fashion. Welcome to the podcast, Angela. Thank you so much, Joe. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Well, I'm really excited to have you on the pod. Um, Obviously, you're the VP of marketing at Nice Healthcare. Uh, But before I jump into all that, maybe you could uh, share with the dear listeners uh, who you are and uh, what you do. I'm a marketer within the impact technology space and currently I'm the VP of marketing at Nice Healthcare. Awesome. And yeah, I see in your background that you have a pretty impressive uh, resume of places you've been, whether it be Tesla, Drop Labs, and even co-founded your own uh, healthcare startup. But uh, perhaps you could walk us through the, the previous days before, before Nice. Yeah, I, I mean, I actually love my story um, and how I, my path and journey, how I got here. But um, way back when I was in fashion, I was a stylist in New York, did that for about a decade or so. Um, loved my time there, loved being in fashion um, as grueling and as grinding as it was. Um, but at the, around the 10 year mark, um, I feel like a lot of, of my peers and I had this sort of epiphany wake up moment of like, what are we doing like to add value to the world in some way, some form. And so um, a few of us exited fashion just completely. I knew I wanted to, I just didn't know what I want to do instead. So I made the logical choice of going to school to buy myself some time while I figured that out. So I, I, um, I I thought I was going to go into entertainment, which is why I landed in LA. Um, I was like, you know, fashion entertainment, it's like, just a walk across the bridge, very similar. Um, and it was very similar, which is what I discovered that I didn't like, what I didn't like about fashion, I was finding an entertainment to entertainment as well. So uh, back to the drawing board. Um, I'm from Palo Alto. I'm from Silicon Valley, born or not born there, but like bred there, if you will. My dad's a serial entrepreneur and everyone around me was in some sort of startup mode of something. And so I knew that I wanted to get into tech. I just didn't know how to do it. Um, it's particularly you know, because of my fashion background was so heavy on that end. Um, and an opportunity kind of across an opportunity at Tesla Motors doing the marketing strategy. And I have to say that they actually opened my eyes that I didn't have to suppress my past. So I really tried to rebrand myself, push down that I was in fashion because I want to be taken seriously. You know, like when I first walked into this like school, um, I was sort of like the L Woods of, of like <laughs> of, of Marshall Business School because they're like, whoa, you know, it was a little, I was so extra and, you know, really kind of took my New York fashion self. I didn't take myself out of, that, out of that yet. And so I really, again, wanted to suppress the fashion side because I um, was really trying to pivot. And they were like, no, actually, we don't do traditional marketing. But what we do do is we have a, 
excellent brand that people go nuts over this fandom. And so like a lot of their kind of like, what's a positive line item, if you will, um, wasn't the cars at the time. It was lifestyle products and apparel. It was like their t-shirts and mugs and this and the other. And so I helped build up that program. And, um, concurrently I was still in school and, um, did basically a class project called, um, is a, a class called tech feasibility where you simulate a startup. So you do like problem discovery, customer discovery, et cetera, like, and landed in the healthcare space through a random icebreaker. So I met my, you know, co-founder, if you will, in a classroom. Um, and we kept on winning pitches and winning money for this thing. And, um, I kind of was at a crossroads, like, should I go to you know, get a job at Tesla? Should I or maintain my job at Tesla or should I pursue this startup from scratch? Um, I chose a startup, three years of just insane learning experience, very intense, burnt out, exited, took a year sabbatical, froze my eggs. I was just like, okay, I don't know what I want to do. I just want to, but again, the through line is the impact, right? So whether it's the EV space or healthcare space, like I knew I just want to like do something that was like bringing something, bringing importance and helping people in some way or form. Um, and went back into the EV space. So I worked at Canoe um, and then uh, switched over to Drop Labs, which were, it was like a haptic technology company. Um, very interesting stuff. I was, you know, working with um, the deaf and hard of hearing communities um, because it was like, again, haptics and really kind of getting my chops out in, in the um, content creator field, um, kind of developed the program from the ground up. And then this opportunity at NICE um, came calling. And so I always thought I would never go back into healthcare. Like I literally was like, I never want to do this again. Like, it's just not for me. Um, but, you know, at the time I, I co-founded my that healthcare startup, um, Thompson, the CEO of NICE, he also was in the same space um, with a previous iteration of NICE Healthcare. And I remember back in the day, I was like Googling because there was very few of us in that space. Now it's much more crowded. Um, but it was, you know, concierge medicine, doctor, adore, nurse on demand, like those kind of search words, right? And Thompson's name came up. So I cold DM'd him on LinkedIn, like, hey, I'm trying to do something very similar to you in California. Let, let's let's connect. And so we chatted and you know, the nature of our companies were very regional. So we would never share or compete for the same patient pool. I'm not going to Minnesota. He's not going to California. So he was very eager and open, um, which you don't find, you know, often to compare notes with me and talk through messaging and business models and like what made sense and whatnot. And so um, through that, like I was able to really work um, out my personal or my own um, startup. Every once in a blue moon, Thompson will reach out to me and be like, hey, I really want to work with you. Come join my team. And I was always like, hard pass, no more healthcare. <laughs> um, but the pandemic really kind of opened my eyes and gave me a bit of like, something to think about. Kind of like we were before our time. Had we existed around the time of the era of the pandemic, we would have made so much impact. And I had some regret of not existing, of that company not existing. So the most recent time that Thompson reached out, I was like, I'm ready to have a conversation. And now I'm here. 
<laughs> wow, that's an amazing backstory you got there, Angela. Uh, it seems like the through line, though, is you want to create impact and have that positive uh, change of everybody around you. And it's interesting that you mentioned how you were searching up different uh, competitors or keywords in the, in the fields. Um, perhaps maybe for the listeners that don't know exactly what NICE Healthcare does, perhaps you could share maybe a little bit of what you guys do for the people that don't really know too much about it. Sure. So NICE Healthcare is a very integrated approach. Um, not only do we for, for, for like delivering care. So that goes in terms of house visits, virtual care, virtual sessions, um, and a really robust care coordination. Um, but what I think what makes us us apart is, and what's very interesting about us is that most competitors in the digital healthcare space, they really try to um, put their footprint in the same types of cities, metro- like metropolises, right? So Everyone wants to be in New York, LA, Miami, Chicago, whatnot. We have an interesting thing where we actually, when we say access to care and like really improving access to care, we mean that like literally. So we'll be in more rural areas, those flyover states that like people are not necessarily trying to get into. We work with like farmers in Idaho. Um, I mean, the headquarters is Minnesota. So like, you know, we really do have um, a bit of expansion in the Midwest. And um, beyond that, our model works with nurse practitioners and physician assistants exclusively. So there's no like doctor oversight. So when I was doing my thing in California, I had to deal with the doctor oversight rule, right? And so we had to have, have hired we doctors and nurse practitioners, whereas the states that we're trying to go into now, um, our practitioners have full autonomy. So nurse, so like that's another kind of like where we try to expand. We go for those green states, if you will, where a nurse practitioner or a physician physician assistant has basically the prescribing and autonomous rights that a doctor would in a primary care setting. Um, so I think that that's like, we really do mean what we say when we like say access to care. It's not just convenience. It's like not just because someone who's living in New York like doesn't feel like leaving their, their bubble. It's like, we're really going out there to make sure that those who um, have lower access, like, you know, access to care are getting it. Mm. And one thing on the expansion, I see you guys recently raised uh, Series A rounds funding, uh, funding round there. Uh, yes. And I could see that's probably help with the mission of growing an expansion. Um, yes. And one thing I, I did kind of pick up in your backstory is that you're very passionate about mission driven brands and how to use that power to create more equal spaces. Um, so I'm just curious, we maybe already alluded to this, uh, but what sort of or how are you incorporating that into, into your work today? So, I mean, I think one was um, what I alluded to was the access to care. Like that's first and foremost. But even beyond that, like the way that we um, kind of think about in our ethos of, of, of access is not just healthcare and even within externally. Internally, like the way that we even build up our own teams, like our DEI initiatives are through like beyond. Like if you look at our leadership team, it is extremely diverse and not just in terms of race and ethnicity, but also in terms of gender, in terms of age. Like it's really, truly remarkable. Um, We really put that kind of care into um, how we give others a seat at the table, whether it's on the executive table or just in the company, um, clinicians, like it, every team, it, the through line is there. Um, so I think that's, 
you know, if you really dig into my personal stuff, like social, social, like I'd say like socially um, driven initiatives is very important to me as well. Um, and so, and look at the co-founding team, it's a black man and two women like that is not seen in healthcare. Absolutely. I love the diversity there. I think there's always more room for diverse voices, diverse perspectives and diverse uh, businesses. So um, I really appreciate. I think it's like, I mean, because if it was just, uh, you know, if you don't have the opinions, the diverse opinions or those, those are kind of like at the seat of the table, um, you just tend to go for those San Francisco New York territories and whatnot, like it's the, it's, it's, you know, the other opinions, um, and kind of like those thoughts that like bring you to thinking really outside of the state or really outside of like the city. Right. Absolutely. I just want to do a quick pivot here or quick, uh, maybe segue. Um, but what's maybe something that you've read or listened to that's really inspired junior, whether it be your career journey or the work that you do, What's maybe something top of mind that's really inspired you? Um, so I saw the question and I know, or I feel like everyone has some really profound answer. <laughs> um, so for me, I work really hard at what I do and I, and I take my job very seriously. So what I have, what I consume content, if you will, whether it's listening to something or reading something that is not work related. Um, I just, veg out. So I am like an uppers, upper content kind of, kind of gal. So you'll just see me scrolling on TikTok, scrolling on Instagram with, you know, friends on or something, you know, or, or a Pixar movie. It's my time to kind of unwind. That's how I, um, keep that balance so that I'm not always wired 24 seven. So <laughs> like that may not be, you know, the most inspirational answer, but it's, it's relatable. And it's definitely something that I really you know, that's how I, there was a point where I did want to keep up with all like these books and, um, and I'm not there anymore. I'm just going <laughs> to <make> my life. <laughs> no, that's fair enough. Like, uh, yeah. even, even your story, you mentioned how you experienced some burnout with the startup. Yeah. So it's, it's always good to have that work-life balance to really even you out sometimes. So you're not always on, which, which, uh, I could appreciate. But TikTok Academy is real. Like it is a real thing. I've learned so much from, from scrolling and it keeps me <laughs> Honestly, like it's, um, it's interesting. So in healthcare, particularly in the B2B space, which nice care is, um, you know, social media is not the, it's not our, 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 um, preferred channel that we put a lot of energy on because like when you're sick, like the last thing you're doing is looking for a doctor on Instagram. Like, I mean, you know, you're really finding other solutions, other, other channels to kind of like figure out what to do with when you're sick. Right. Um, but in my previous job, social media was king, like content was king. You really had to be up on your content game and own all those channels, work with the creators. And so in order for me to do that, like I have to consume it. And so that kept me really relevant and on top of things because I was, I was at the end of the day a consumer. Mm. Actually, let's, let's stick on that for a sec. Uh, so you mentioned that nice, nice care is more B2B and people don't really look for doctors on Instagram, if you will. Um, what sort of platforms have, or maybe even marketing tactics that you've maybe experienced or strategized with that's really, um, given some really good results for you guys. 
So since we're B2B and our target, um, our target audience are the decision makers of company kind of healthcare packages. So like the employers will have, that could be like your head of HR, it could look like a CFO, it could look like a CEO, depending on how big the company is. So LinkedIn has been our kind of main channel so far. Of course, we like have stuff on, you know, we have paid media on like Facebook, Google, but the real, the chunk is LinkedIn that's proven, given the best results. Um, but what else was gonna say about that? And then, so we're going, to, eventually when we head into the B2C space, then we'll probably need a little bit more social presence, not much. Um, I will say like my biggest, like kind of like, ooh, that hurt is when I first had that, uh, co-founded that healthcare company. We were so, I mean, like digital marketing with respect to social media was all like kind of new. And so I remember it's so it's, it's, it's nothing now, but like back then, like, I think I spent $5,000, which felt like so big. Cause it was like, we, we just raised like a, a little bit of a seed round. Um, I spent my 5,000, like a matter of like a couple of days, um, on Facebook and it yielded no results whatsoever. And then that's when I was like, yeah, like, what am I thinking? Like people don't scroll on Facebook looking for their doctor. Um, and so I kind of, I think have a little bit of trauma of that, that first check that I had to like, you know, shell out. And I was like, damn, like, why did I, you know, so social media is, every, I mean, it's a very powerful tool, but it's not the only tool. Hmm. I absolutely agree. <laughs> I feel, I feel bad for your uh, PTSD with the yeah. <laughs> Facebook. <laughs> that's, that's quite funny. Um, so yeah, let's say opposite scenario happens. You have great success with your campaign. What does that success what sort of metrics would you use to classify it as a success well we love when a when a um when the cat goes down so like that would probably be like my it, it's it's the one thing that i keep looking at like making sure that uh, we have a healthy acquisition you know um cost healthy in, in that it's not too too high um but we when I see someone um, download a gated asset or engage with a gated asset, that to me is like, a, that indicates to me that this person has intention and that they're really you know, closer to moving down the funnel than just pure brand awareness, right? So um, that is one of the metrics that excites me when when people actually download stuff and like interact with like um, more than, show interest more than just um, a like or whatnot. Mm. I just had a curiosity though. What's because you mentioned gated assets and seeing people download that, that's a great lead source for having people enter your funnel and eventually mm -hmm. nurture them down your funnel. But uh, how do you like when do you know when to gate a piece of content and when not to gate it? That's always maybe a, a question for, for some of the listeners when marketing. Uh, so uh, funnily enough, uh, the first time we gated an asset was was an asset that was free. I mean, like that was ungated in other channels, but we're like, let's just test something. So we use like a one page that we typically have, um, you know, before we really put in a lot of dollars against something, like you just want to test it. So test anything. I mean, really. So we had a one pager. And then once we saw that, that was like proving to, um, you know, show a bit of success, we invested in having a white paper. And so like, there are certain things that um, are worth someone's time to download, enter their information and download. And what we've seen is like things like white papers, studies, like things that speak to them, like whatever problem they may be having. So for instance, like with a great resignation, 
what's the number one thing people are, employers are dealing with retention, right? So like uh, we had a white paper basically around retention and cost savings, um, you know, like how nice basically um, proved to retain a few people, more than a few people, but employers literally or employees would go to their boss and be like, I like this company so much, I'm not willing to leave. And so like we had some studies around that, but um, to anyone with a gate of, you know, for content strategy, strategy wise, I'd say if you have, um, if you have things to just test it out, um, just start with, start there. And then once you start getting a feel of what people are interested in kind of learning more about, you'll start to get an idea of like what is worth gating. Mm. So I guess the gate. Yeah. Mm. So I guess the the main theme though is to test, test, test. Um, I'm a big proponent of A/B testing and uh, just seeing what the numbers tell you, with, and take that almost emotional or uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> aspect of things out of there. But um, no, that makes sense. One question I did want to ask: uh, I love always asking my guests on the podcast, just because it's always interesting to get their get their insight on things. But what's maybe one question that you never get asked that you wish you would be asked? So I actually use this question in my icebreakers if I ever need to do like a team building thing. So the question I always ask and like I never get asked and someone like, oh my, I wish someone asked me is what's your pump up song or your karaoke song? <laughs> Does it have to be marketing related? Like, um, but like, uh, yeah, like we had this um, leadership kind of summit, if you will. And I had to leave one of the icebreakers and, and we were, it's a fully remote company. We're relatively new to each other. And so um, I use that as like, what's your walk, like your pump up, like walkout song. Like if you're going to go on, on like, you know, the tonight show, like what song would it be? And you really get a sense of like the person's like personality and like um, more than just a typical, you know, how are you? Like just regular icebreaker types of questions. So yeah, that would be mine. I could imagine what my next question would be. And what is your walkout pump up song? <laughs> so my, what my pump up song um, is my chick bad by Ludacris and Nicki Minaj. And it's just solid. Like when I hear that, I'm like, yeah, I can conquer anything. So um, I may or may, may not have listened to that before I got on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and any listeners that are wondering, mine is uh, Can't Tell Me Nothing by Kanye West. So. <laughs> you had that unlocked. Some people, are, like, they, get, they get stumped. Like, there's, they're like, oh, can you come back to me? Like, you had that unlocked. Good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, on, it's on repeat in my, uh, in my phone. So. <laughs> um, yeah. One thing you did mention, though, is leadership. And uh, I can imagine being a fully distributed remote workforce. And there's probably some nuances or challenges uh, leading a team that way. Perhaps you could share maybe some of your experiences or insight into leadership, leading a remote workforce or team. Sure. So, um um, obviously, we all kind of got fast tracked during the pandemic. This so nice was and is fully remote before the pandemic. So, like they already had, they kind of worked out some a lot of the kinks, communication kinks, if you will. Um, so we live and breathe on Slack. Like the pings haunt my nightmares. But anyhow, like uh, the good thing is that we have such good work life balance. I don't really hear it after hours. I don't hear it on the weekend, so it's fine. But um, I'm. 
a proponent of over-communication and sort of like, because we don't have this sort of water cooler or a congregation space, like the spaces, we have to create that space digitally, right? And so I do have daily standups. I will continue to have daily standups. I have like weekly one-on-ones. Um, I really spend the time to kind of curate, develop and build the relationships with my peers and teammates. So no matter how big the team gets, I don't care. Like I like we have to make time for each other digitally. Absolutely. Cause at the end of the day, it's just all about people, people you work with, people you engage with your customers, clients, just building that positive uh, relationship. Exactly. And on top of that, you can discover a lot of things by talking to people. There's things that would have slipped like slipped the cracks. Again, we're not in an office setting. So it's not like a, Oh, did you catch what Kathy said? Like, you really have to be intentional with when you communicate and how you communicate. And, um, you know, my, my peers and I have definitely kind of like uncovered or discovered like kind of repeat work or things that would have gone, that would have gone wasted and unnoticed if we didn't talk about it. And so we were able to kind of like, um, you know, better those situations. What's maybe something that you're proud of that we haven't touched on in the interview so far? But I'm really proud of my journey. Something that I thought I would have to defend, like I'm industry agnostic. I love how I got here. Um, I have a lot of confidence in what I do and, and I think the different paths, if you will, um, make me a stronger marketer. There was a point where uh, I have a, f- a friend, she's a recruiter. She actually recruited me um, from Tesla days. She, you know, marketing, there's so much, marketing is vast and right. And so at one point, cause I was such a, like, a generalist, if you will, like I've always, again, worn so many hats because I was always been in startup culture. And she was like, you need to choose a lane, just choose a lane. And I didn't, part of me, I didn't listen to her. Part of me wish wonders where I would have landed had I um, chosen a lane, whatever it may have been. But um, I don't think I could have, I could be as strong of a marketer, particularly as my role needs me to be for nice, if I only stuck to one thing. I actually like kind of having my hat, I have my hands in everything. Mm, I love that. I mean, yeah, if you, have a little bit of, uh, I hate calling jack of all trades, but with your role, I, I, I could see how it would help, um, really understanding each piece of that bigger pie or puzzle, if you will, uh, within that marketing strategy. So, uh, I think I agree with you there to have maybe a more broader look, but then maybe if you do want to niche down, that's also an option as well. Yeah. I mean, I would, uh, the advice I would give to someone now, I would follow her advice and we choose a link because What's interesting about marketing is that it's it moves so fast and platforms pop up. There's always something new, like metaverse, NFT. There's, <laughs> there, there's there, like you cannot master it all. Like you really can't. I not I don't claim to master it all at all. But um, and so there's going to be a time where you need to be a specialist in metaverse or you need to be a specialist in whatever thing hasn't been invented yet. Do you know what I mean? And so um, like. I, I like that I am at a point where I can um, have a bird's eye view, know enough to kind of make a strategy, but I have, a, I can, you know, have a great team to actually execute 
on said channels or said platforms. Speaking of Web3 metaverse and mm -hmm. uh, VR and all that uh, yeah. interesting stuff coming up, uh, what's maybe something on your radar, maybe something big that's coming that we should look out for from NICE or maybe just even marketing in general? Uh, let's take, well, NICE, like healthcare is a, healthcare marketing is not a sexy space. So there's another, I mean, I don't think we'll be in the metaverse anytime soon. <laughs> I don't want to be. I don't think we should be. Like we're here. We're in our we're on, in our hoppers. Um, but um, the kind of as much as we're a digital healthcare company, um, we still have a very human and you know IRL approach to things. Like they're they're neat. Like we have virtual. Like many people have adopted to virtual visits, and that the convenience of it makes total sense. But there are some things that need to be in person. And healthcare is until some invention, like Nice, really bridges that gap well. Um, I I think we're you know at the forefront of like a paradigm shift of like how people engage with healthcare. Um, in fact, there's a book, um, Joe Public 2030. So. Um, it's like it was like predictions of of reshaping or sorry predictions reshaping how consumers engage with healthcare and nice was named um in the book as one of the kind of few digital healthcare companies that are on the forefront of that paradigm shift so it's it's i think we're on, we're already on to something cuz that was unsolicited by the way they just named us in in a in a small group and we're like whoa like it was a very proud moment to be honest um but with respect to marketing in general, like there are some wild things on the horizon. I don't, I don't think anyone, anyone will know right now. Anyone who claims to know it is lying, like, or, or has inside track at that, um, that they may or probably can't share it right now. But obviously things are afoot in the metaverse. Like the fact that I have a, um, a friend, a content creator I worked with in a, in a previous role, he is, has been named as the chief metaverse officer, like things like positions like that are starting to crop up. You know what I mean? So, um, that's wild. What does that mean? I don't know yet, but that's wildly interesting. Mm. Is there any, uh, chief NFT officer popping up at nice anytime soon? <laughs> <laughs> what are your uh, what are your thoughts on NFTs and all that? Um, I I have I'm not I haven't I'm I don't think I'm going to partake and I haven't partook, but it's um I'm very much like a tangible like <laughs> here, but I'm curious as to like the psyche of of people who. Um, find it fascinating or like who, who are like really invested in it. Um, and I know that the, the rationale and the reasoning behind like, well, because everyone's like, oh, well, can I just screenshot it? Or, you know, like what? Yeah. And then they have like their, um, everyone keeps saying like, imagine your Hermes bag. And I'm like, okay, fine. Or imagine a Chanel bag and it's a fake and this and the other. So I understand like the reasoning behind it, but at the same time, I'm not super invested in it. Mm -hmm. I think that's where most of us are right now, just sort of yeah. just watching, seeing where it goes yeah. before jumping in full force. <laughs> well, no, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast, Angela. Um, I only have a couple more questions for you before we right. jump off here. Um, yeah, so you've been 
10 years plus uh, creative consultant, cons- consumer facing brands, products, uh, services. Um, so yeah, maybe somebody listening, what's maybe one or two golden nuggets, I like to call them, to helping them if they want to build a brand online. Well, consistency is, content is king. Consistency is, is also key, um, but it's a full-time job, obviously, right? And with respect to building a brand, if it's your brand, not like bring your personality into it. If you look and see how, how things adopt, building a personal brand or building your person, like just even TikTok, for instance, having a company presence on TikTok is damn near impossible. Having a personal um, presence on TikTok, very easy. There's a reason because people are connected that they don't feel like they're being sold to or whatever it is. So I would, again, if this is your personal brand, because what you don't want to do is attach a human component that could go away. So for instance, um, Tesla and Elon, Elon and Tesla, it it all makes sense. And and Tesla... um, what is it without Elon in the beginning days, right? He was the marketing piece. Like he was the, uh, the X factor that you couldn't put a price on. Well, they have tried and it's fine. It's the budget would be astronomical to, to basically attack, attack a number to Elon and his um, impact. So, but what you don't want to do is, um, have a brand with a person that is not your kind of like your forever. Um, because if that person goes down, your brand goes down or if you want to fire that person, what do you do? They're so, they're so intertwined. But um, if you're talking about your personal brand, I would really invest in building yourself along with the actual brand or product service, whatever that you're trying to market, because the combination of the two is very powerful. Even with nice Thompson is not a celebrity CEO. It doesn't want it, but at the, at the moment, he's my most powerful tool. And so whenever there's a panel, it's a speaking opportunity, whatever it may be, I'm like, please, like we need you. And so um, having that human element um, ahead of the brand is very, very powerful. Mm. One thing that really struck a chord was um, placing that price on the brand. Uh, for me, myself, um, I drank the Kool-Aid. I think building your brand is like, if not the only thing, or like one of the most important things, maybe for some of the skeptics though, how would you say building a brand impacts the bottom line? Oh, well, I mean, people will make very fine decisions around brand loyalty and brand affinity. So, um, you know, if you think about the motivations of what, you know, what makes someone whip out their wallet, or, or do anything, whether it's like engage with you, buy something from you. Um, it's the brand typically is what drives that decision more than the, the item itself, if you will. Um, you know, like, look at Tesla is a very good example. Um, Nike, Kanye. I mean, like there's people, there's like, you will excuse, you'll be, if you're, if you have that loyalty, that fandom, you will turn a blind eye to so many other things, including what your bank statement tells you. (laughs) Yeah. No, I love that. Um, Yeah. Again, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast, Angela, where can our listeners connect with you online? So me personally, um, I go on my Instagram. So I'm 
Ange, aka Scrap, because that's my nickname is Lil Scrap. Um, <laughs> but on the business side, of course, Nice Healthcare, it's Nice Healthcare on all the channels, um, basically on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, you name it, we're on it. No TikTok though. Uh, <laughs> you really don't want to be getting your doctor from, from TikTok. But um, anyhow, so yeah, you can find me on, this, on the channels as Ange, aka Scrap, or Nice Healthcare. Awesome. And I'll put those in the show notes of the episode. So you guys go connect with Angela. And yeah, since this is a marketing, branding, and just overall, just connecting with people podcasts. uh, My last question to you is what's maybe one word or phrase that you can use to describe Angela Wynn's brand? Okay. One word. Resourceful. Mm, I like that. that Just say scrappy. (laughs) <laughs> I was waiting for it. I was yeah. like, uh, yes, my literal nickname is is Scrap, um, or yeah, little Scrap, little Scrappy, Scrappy, Scrap. It's all the same, but Scrap is my brand, I guess. <laughs> and there we go, Scrap, little Scrap. Thanks for being yeah. on the pod. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Joe. Hi, I'm Angela Wynn, and you're listening to Joe Momo Presents. This episode of the CMO and Joe podcast has ended, but be sure to subscribe for more business strategies and tactics to help you create the profitable and successful business you've always dreamed of. And don't forget to rate and review so we can continue to bring you the best content. See you on the next episode.